Good morning, Moore Tribe. Thank you for joining us again online. Sadly, some of our staff were exposed to this coronavirus, so in order to keep everyone safe, as best we know how, we are returning to online church for at least two weeks. Check our Facebook page or visit our website at ilovemore.org for updates on when we plan to open again. We still miss you all, and we pray health and peace over your families. We appreciate how greatly you have all supported the church through this time, and we ask that you continue to go online if you would like to give. We love you, we thank you, and in the meantime, we hope you enjoy worshiping with us today. Well, good morning, more. If it's your first time here with us, my name is Tanner, and I'm the youth pastor. For the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Undivided, trying to tackle some of the issues that are really dividing our nation. Um, to be honest with you, I kind of dreaded being asked to speak because, you know, with a series this in-depth, a series this dealing with such heavy topics, I feel like I'm not an authority on any of this, but we're going to go ahead and continue it today. And we're going to continue that by looking at a passage that deals with racism, politics, and religion. But before we jump into that, I better pray. Father, I just come before you right now and I ask you to give me the grace to speak well. Father, give me the grace to know that I don't know everything, God, and just take this sermon where you want it to go. Let me speak your heart and nothing else, God. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 4. We'll pick up in verse 5. It says, Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat at the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. Okay, so for this section of scripture, context is very important. We have Jesus here putting himself in the center of the racial tension of that time. Jesus, God in the flesh, was a Jewish man. The disciples were also born and raised Jewish, meaning that they would have been raised to have a certain perspective towards Samaritans. Namely, they would have been taught to despise Samaritans because of their ethnicity, their politics, and their religion. Jewish people were not to talk to Samaritans, not to do business with Samaritans, and certainly not to eat or drink with Samaritans. There were even separate roads for Jews and Samaritans so that they would never even have to go near one another. This had gone on for hundreds of years at this point at the well. Racial tensions are high in this passage. I want to stress that. But despite the animosity between the two groups, Jesus goes to that well and he takes the disciples with him and he sends them to town to get food. He sends them to a Samaritan town. They had to be uncomfortable, to say the least. They were surrounded by people that they had been raised to despise, that their culture had despised for hundreds of years. No good Jew would be where they were with the people that they were around. Back at the well, though, a woman comes to draw water at noon. 
Obviously, she doesn't want anybody to see her. We get social or uh, context clues that let us know that she's likely a social pariah at the town. She's an outcast. She wants to come to the well when nobody's around. But she does see someone. She sees a man. She sees a Jewish man. This is a problem for her. I can imagine that... In her mind, a Jewish man being at that well by himself probably has bad intentions if he's waiting for this woman to come. Jesus is creating tension just by being there. Then Jesus speaks to her, which is unthinkable. It's unheard of in that time. Jewish men would never speak to a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman. But instead of focusing on the Samaritan today, I want to take a look at the disciples. Take a look at verse 27. It says, At that moment the disciples returned and were stunned to see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. Yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing. What I see here is that the disciples were likely pretty offended by what they are seeing. They're shocked, they're stunned, but none of them have the courage to ask Jesus why are you breaking the rules? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you speaking to this Samaritan? Why are you speaking to this woman? This goes against everything that our culture has been based on for a long time. The woman has her whole life completely changed by this one encounter with Jesus. But the disciples don't even acknowledge what they've just seen. They don't acknowledge the woman at the well at all. In fact, they pretend it didn't happen. They try to change the subject. And a lot of times I feel like we do the same thing. But then Jesus drops this bomb on him in verse 35. It says, as the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming. Now is the harvest time. For their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain, ready for spiritual harvest. And everyone who reaps these souls for eternal life will receive a reward. And those who plant spiritual seeds and those who reap the harvest will celebrate together with great joy. Then it goes on in verse 38. I have sent you out to the harvest, to harvest a field that you haven't planted, where many others have labored long and hard before you. And now you are privileged to profit from their labors and reap the harvest. So that had to be hard for the disciples to hear. That had to be pretty offensive for the disciples to hear. Here Jesus is looking at all of these Samaritan people coming to him, coming to encounter him. And he turns to the disciples and said, hey, these are my people. I'm for them. I'm for them. I came to be for them as well. See, their perspective before the well was that God was for them and only them. That the Messiah was for the Jews and only for them. Certainly not for the Samaritans. So what's the point I'm trying to make? The point is that this story is filled with repentance. Even though repentance is never mentioned in the text. Because what is repentance? In our culture, we tend to think of repentance as, you're wrong, you better change or else. But biblically, it's just changing your mind. It's turning your mind. It's a change in perspective that leads to a change in direction. Every one of us has our own very unique perspective about ourselves, about other people, and about the world around us. Our perspective has been built our entire lives by who we are, where we're from, the color of our skin, 
the culture around us, the media that we feed ourselves, it's inescapable. My perspective, personally, is very limited. I have the perspective of someone who was born white to my parents in Amarillo, Texas, who lived in my house, who went to my schools, who watched my TV shows, who read my books, who went to my churches. It's very limited. That's my perspective about the world. I don't know what it's like to be anyone other than me because that's all I've ever lived. I have no idea what it's like to be a person of color. None. I have no idea what that's like. I have no idea what it's like to be a police officer. I have no idea what it's like to be a homosexual. I have no idea what it's like to be born into a different religion. I have no idea what it's like to be born in a different country. But I bet any of those things would drastically change my perspective on the world. All I really know is my limited perspective. It's daunting just how much I don't know and I'll never know. I'll never experience it. And each of you has your own perspective of the world. The danger is we tend to take our very tiny, limited perspective and ascribe that perspective to God. Because in our hearts, we tend to believe that God thinks just like we do. But we make God into our own image when we think that way. We put God in this box where God is like us. He's just like us. He thinks like us. He likes the things that we like. He hates the things that we hate. We create this God that doesn't offend our worldview. But if we encounter Jesus, he changes our perspective. He changes our minds. He changes our hearts. He changes our view of ourselves. He changes our view of other people and of our culture. Jesus brings repentance. That's who he is. That's what he does. Romans 2.4 says his kindness leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his goodness. Everyone in the story at the well, they left with a new perspective. The beliefs that they had when they went to that well, they didn't leave with them. The woman, the social pariah outcast, she was so transformed by her one encounter with Jesus that she went back to the townspeople that had cast her out and proclaimed Jesus to them. The townspeople were so radically transformed by encountering Jesus, they begged him, a Jewish man, to stay in their Samaritan village. And the disciples had their view altered of who God is and what he's about. That's repentance. All three groups of people there went through repentance. That's what encountering the person of Jesus does. It's understanding that God isn't just for me and people that think like me and sin like me and look like me. He's for everyone. His work on the cross was for everyone. His goodness that leads to repentance is for everyone. The goal in our life as Christians is to become changed into his image, changed into the image of Christ, to become more like him every day, that we would live like him, that we would love like him, that we would be like Jesus. Not that we would be comfortable, not that we would be right, not that we would have the right opinions. And I think every day we have a choice to make between arguing from our limited perspective of the world or showing the love of Christ. We can't grow in him if we aren't open to repentance. I want to end with this story, and 
It's a silly story, but I think it illustrates my point. When I was in high school, I played on the basketball team. And we came up with this idea that we were going to wear tall, dark blue socks with our uniform for a big game that night. So when school got out, we all went our separate ways, and we all went and we bought tall, dark, navy blue socks. And when we got to the gym and we started getting ready, my best friend walked in, and we said, hey, man, did you get those socks? And he goes, oh, you know it. And he whips out this pair of socks, and the whole locker room just dies laughing because that was the day we realized that he was colorblind. And the socks that he whipped out were bright purple, right? And so here's the thing. When my buddy walked into the gym that day, he fully believed 100% that his socks were dark blue. He was certain of it. He paid money because he believed they were dark blue socks. That's what he thought, 100% sure. But when he encountered people with a different perspective, namely people that weren't colorblind, he realized his socks were the wrong color. He changed his mind. That's repentance. He didn't dig in his heels. He didn't argue with us. He didn't tell us we were wrong and he was right. He took someone who wasn't colorblind to the store with him so that he could get the right socks. I think every one of us has purple socks in our life. Those are beliefs that are a product of our perspective that we believe are true, but that might not necessarily line up with the kingdom of God. We have to be careful. We have to examine our beliefs that are a product of our culture and not a product of Christ because we all have them. So much in our life is dictated by our culture, dictated by what we've seen, dictated by where we've grown up, dictated by what type of parents we have, dictated by the schools that we go to. But the kingdom of God is bigger than that. We have to examine our hearts and find what beliefs are rooted in our culture and which ones are rooted in Christ. It takes honesty. It takes humility. It takes grace. It takes the Holy Spirit examining our hearts to even begin to do that because our natural inclination is just to argue from our perspective, to believe that what we see and what we feel is true for everyone. When we consider that we might have these purple socks in our lives, that we might have these beliefs that don't line up with Christ, we'll start to encounter something or someone or something on TV that's going to reveal one of those beliefs. We're going to have a choice to make. When something comes up that doesn't line up with our normal beliefs, We've got to decide whether or not we're going to argue our limited perspective, try to prove that we're right, or do we try to see past the socks to the person? Jesus is about his bride. He's about people. If we miss that, we miss him every single time. It doesn't matter what the socks are. I want to encourage you, all of us, that when we encounter something that offends us, that we don't agree with, we try to filter it through one thing only. And that's the whole goal of our life is to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's it. All the arguments, all the socks, everything like that has to be filtered through that because it's hard to love your neighbor when you think they're less than you or when you think their beliefs or their politics or whatever it is, make them inferior 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the political beliefs. It doesn't matter anything that offends us. What we have to do is look past the socks to the person. I want to encourage us to look past our own socks, to see past our neighbor's socks, to see past politics, religion, and just see the person that Jesus died for. The most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. It's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have uh, eternal life. For God so loved the world. Not one group of people, not people that think like me, not people that believe the things that I believe, the whole world, everyone from all cultures, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, his grace is for them. If we get that, if we really get that, then maybe we really can be the undivided body of Christ. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to admit that I may be wrong about my beliefs about the world, that I might not have the full picture, but it's necessary to grow in him. Because while I don't have the full picture, I don't have all the answers, I don't understand everything, he does. He's the beginning of the end, beginning and the end, he sees all of it from outside. He's with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And it takes humility to say, Holy Spirit, I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions. I don't know the answer to all this division. But what I do know is you're not asking me to solve it. You're asking me to love people. And that's something that we can do. That's something tangible that we can do every day. We can listen to people that have perspectives that aren't like ours, and we can care for them. We don't have to prove we're right. All we have to do is listen and love. And so I'd like to close this with prayer. Holy Spirit, Father, I just ask that you would search my heart, that you would examine my heart, and anything that isn't of you, God, I ask you, bring to the surface. Reveal it to me. And God, I ask that you would give me the humility and the grace to admit when I'm wrong, to repent, to change my mind, to go in a different direction. God, that I wouldn't get caught up in things that you don't care about, that I would focus on what you do care about, your bride, people, your kingdom. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just search me. Search me and take away anything that is not of you. Search all of our hearts, God, because we want to be your church. We want to be your body. We want to be about the things that you are about. Amen.
His face shine upon you Be gracious to you Lord, turn His face toward you
your children May His presence go before you And behind you and beside you All around you and within you He is with you, He is with you In the morning, in the evening In your coming and your going In your weeping and rejoicing He is for you, He is for you Shit. 